Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. So glad you can tune in as we keep you up to date with all the latest Giants news as well as all the latest occurring across the NFL landscape. This is the start of week two of all of our hosts working from remote locations. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you for the next 60 minutes. And a reminder, all the agreements we are mentioning on the show are not official. They are only according to the reports we attribute for each player or the group overall. And all of them are contingent upon the players passing a physical whenever that will take place. That obviously is yet to be determined. It applies to the following players. Colt McCoy, Nate Ebner, Cam Fleming, James Bradbury, Blake Martinez, and Cody Core receiving a contract extension. Those players, all according to reports via the NFL Network. Then Kyler Fackrell and Levine Toilolo. This according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. We are going to get into all of those reports. We're going to get into the latest NFL news, and we're going to answer your Twitter questions at the end of the program, and please continue to send them in either to individual hosts or using hashtag GiantsChat. Paul, looking forward to the next hour. I hope all is well with you and your family on your end as we now start to enter week two of this very unusual circumstance across the country. It certainly is unusual, Lance. Everything okay over here. Hopefully the same for you. And I can only say we appreciate our listeners for sticking with us. However, you are able to communicate uh, via Twitter uh, or even via email if you prefer, uh, getting things over to the Giants. The bottom line is we're going to be here for you guys, and we're glad to be able to to at least provide some type of service during these very strange situations. Absolutely. So last week on a variety of different shows that you and I were on or with other hosts, we really broke down all of these reported signings, and we'll continue to discuss that. But I think let's start with the larger theme, because now that the first wave of free agency is over, the first week of free agency, however you want to label it, Paul, I think now we can sort of take a step back, reflect on, well, what is the biggest takeaway from what the Giants did in week one of free agency? And probably the most interesting takeaway And a term that comes to mind when I look at the group as a whole is familiarity because everybody top to bottom has some connection, whether it be to the front office or the coaching staff. And we're going to get into why that's important to bring up. But first, Paul, let's map out all of the connections and how it goes even into Colt McCoy who is going to likely have an opportunity to compete with Alex Tanney as the backup quarterback. The most obvious one is James Bradbury, because Bradbury was drafted by Dave Gettleman in the second round in 2016 when he was the Panthers GM. And then you have Nate Ebner having a direct contact to Joe Judge because they spent eight seasons together in New England Mm -hmm. as Joe Judge was an assistant special teams coordinator, then a special teams coordinator. And you also have Cam Fleming, who goes back to his New England days with Joe Judge and then, of course, has been with Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo each of the last two seasons with the Cowboys. But it goes much deeper than just those three players that I named, Paul. It really does because when you look at the other side of the ball, the two linebackers, uh, Fackrell and Martinez, well, they know Patrick Graham. When he was linebackers coach with the Packers in 2018, remember he had been with the Giants as a defensive line coach, then went to Green Bay, then went to Miami. Now he's back with the Giants as a defensive coordinator. And one could argue that Fackrell and Martinez had some of their most successful games when Patrick Graham was their linebackers coach. In fact, in addition to being the linebackers coach with Green Bay, they called him their run defense coordinator. So you can imagine 
how happy uh, those linebackers would be to work with Graham once again. So uh, I think that's very important because a lot of folks looked at some of the bigger name linebackers who were available during free agency. And they said, well, you know, should the Giants spend X number of dollars to go after some of the bigger names? Well, in some cases, you could argue that the bigger names and the most expensive names aren't the best fit. Sometimes the best fit is the guy who you know because you think you can get more out of him than maybe the high-priced guy coming from somewhere else. And I think people need to keep that in mind as they talk about some of these players. Um, Cole McCoy, you mentioned a moment ago in your open, it's interesting that he was in Cleveland for a couple of years when Giants defensive back Jerome Henderson was in Cleveland. Now, he did not coach that side of the ball, but he coached against the quarterback in practice, and so he clearly knows everything there is to know about him. So there's a connection that I think probably went under the radar with most people because they know that McCoy was with the Redskins for the past five years, and prior to that, you know, with the Browns, and and they're probably saying to themselves, well, hmm, who, who, who knows him? Turns out Henderson knows him real well, as, as he does with uh, Toilolo, obviously because uh, Toilolo played tight end with the Atlanta Falcons, and Henderson was a DB coach with the Atlanta Falcons for two of those seasons. And so you have to sometimes dig a little further than just the surface to find out who really knows who and who worked with who and who understands whose work habits and character and locker room chemistry. Uh, These things all come into play. Well, and to your point, even though Henderson wasn't an offensive coach, when you're on the opposite side of the ball, you're going up against the offense, Paul, in practice every single day. So defensive coaches are just as observant as the offensive coaches. They're looking at what the offensive personnel is doing. They're looking at the work ethic of the player. They're looking at the strengths and how they prepare the defense to get ready for the upcoming week. Some of these guys also may have been on the scout team to help the defense prepare to get good looks for the offensive schemes that they were going up against every week. So, you know, when people say, well, you know, that's really a stretch, that's a reach, it really isn't that much of a reach because when you talk to defensive coaches, coaches and you talk to offensive coaches it's not a stunner when you ask them about players who are on the roster on the opposite side of the ball they'll be able to give you some tidbits they'll be able to give you some takeaways because it's their duty to observe the entire roster because you never know as a coach Paul and from being around the league many many years you can see this through the Giants or through other teams where guys have been asked to take on new roles because of injuries that come up at the last minute, or a special teams coach has a defense or an offensive player to now take on a role that he had never done in his previous stops throughout his career. So as a coach, you always have to do your due diligence to know the roster backwards and forwards, whether you're the head coach, whether you're a member of the scouting department, or whether you're an assistant on the staff. No doubt about that, Lance. I mean, it's all part of that one big family. When you're under the umbrella of of a team logo, you are going to know something in detail about every single one of those other people who are under the umbrella with you. And you will take that wherever it is that you go later in your career. 
And that's why so many people continue to talk about how, you know, it's an old boys club or a good boys club or, you know, why why do, do, do some guys always wind up resurfacing in, other pl- resurfacing in other places all the time? Well, it's because there is going to be some type of blood connection with somebody from your past. That's just the way the game works. And that clearly is the biggest theme for the Giants after the first week of free agency. And here's why this is important to note. All right, let's take it another level up, another step, Paul. This is a very unusual time, not just for the NFL. Okay, let's put things in perspective. It's an unusual time for the entire country. Everybody is impacted by this coronavirus, and we certainly wish all of our listeners a safe and healthy period of time for you and your loved ones. And hopefully we're providing a distraction on this program throughout the course of this period of time. But from a football perspective, Paul, we don't know how this offseason is going to play out. I have brought this up multiple times. I'm starting to think this is going to resemble 2011 when we dealt with the lockout. Now, we went to the facility every day to do our shows. So, you know, it was somewhat business as usual for us because it wasn't as if team personnel, the executive staff, the coaching staff, you know, they were able to go to the facility, do their jobs, and we were able to continue our show. The players just weren't allowed at the facility, so the communication was limited. But now you're talking about coaches and players limited in terms of their ability to get to the facility. So when you don't know how you're going to communicate with players, we don't know the status of OTAs. We don't know what training camp's going to look like. If you bring in players that you're already familiar with, you have a connection to, I think that's going to aid the communication, whether it has to be Skype, Zoom, you name it, Paul. At least you know the guys you're talking to. Hey, Cam Fleming knows what Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo run. Patrick Graham and Kyler Fackrell and Blake Martinez have a connection in terms of what they brought to the table from a defensive standpoint. That, to me, is going to go a long way, especially for a team that has a first-time head coach and a completely new staff. Well, consider this. Joe Judge himself, when he was named coach of the Giants, and he's also repeated this a number of times since, has said everybody gets a clean slate, and I'm going to start learning about these players once I get to meet them, and then more importantly, get to work with them on the practice field. Well, considering the right now pause in the NFL's offseason schedule, as you say, there's a good chance he's not going to see a lot of these guys for the first time until much later on in the calendar year. And it may be butted right up against when these guys are going to start quote, playing preseason games or even regular season games. We just don't know how this is going to play out. So let's just say that there is literally minimal time between having to set your roster and working with these guys. Well, what is he going to do? He's going to have to rely on his past experience with certain players. He's going to have to rely on his coaching staff and say to them, hey, remember this guy? When you had him, you, you were one of the reasons, you know, we, 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 we talked to you and, you know, you were one of the reasons we brought this guy in. All right, tell me what I need to know. Give me the scouting report. Give me the particulars. Give me the intangibles because I don't have enough time to get with these guys. I don't have enough time to understand their idiosyncrasies or to understand which buttons have to be pushed to get certain guys to do certain things. 
I, I can't I can't stress enough that you know Joe Judge may very well, like every other new head coach in this league, be under a very very strict timeline under which they're going to have to make rapid decisions that are going to help shape their roster. And so you are a thousand percent correct, Lance. Uh, this is going to be a critical part of whatever it is that that he puts into his personnel folder or any of these new head coaches about any of these players who have been acquired during free agency. The other thing that I think is interesting to discuss related to this, Paul, and I'm curious your perspective, Eli Manning, every single offseason, you know how he would get a group of wide receivers together. He'd go to Duke. They'd work out. I'm thinking that's going to be also an important part of this offseason for not just quarterbacks, for positional group players to maybe get together in smaller groups because of obviously the limitations based on federal regulations and to try to build that chemistry. So here's where, for example, a guy like James Bradbury, who has a connection to Dave Gettleman, not necessarily the coaching staff, he's that veteran voice now in the room. It was Janoris Jenkins last season. Now Bradbury takes on that role. So if somebody like DeAndre Baker, Sam Beal, Julian Love, Corey Ballantyne, all of these guys have just one season under their belt of being on the field. If they get the playbook and there are some concepts that are new to them, and considering Bradbury's been in the NFL for quite some time, he's worked in various schemes, you know, be able to communicate with him, just have a voice to lean on if you have questions. You know, that to me can also be valuable, especially if there's limitations, especially based on how NFL rules and regulations work where you can't communicate with the coaching staff right now. So if you can lean on somebody like Bradbury just to get some ideas bounced off of, that to me is also a valuable asset. Oh, I I don't think there's any doubt about that. And by the way, as we all kind of try to work ourselves through this very difficult time frame, I had somebody uh, ask me on Twitter that they had heard somewhere a rumor that the NFL was seriously considering canceling its season. This is probably a good time to just say, hey, there has been no official announcement made by the National Football League as to anything regarding the 2020 schedule. The only thing that the league has said about their schedule or their calendar is that all of off-season things other than the draft are on hold indefinitely. Nobody has said anything, nobody, about canceling uh, anything regarding the 2020 season. And I think that leads into something else that we were hoping to discuss today, Lance, and that is that the league has, in fact, gone through with its plans that they will hold the draft at their scheduled time, but they will have the commissioner in a television studio. And so these teams are going to have to remotely submit their selections. Which, to me, is the logical plan. You and I had had some discussions last week, and we even alluded to this The good news for the NFL is they have the facilities because they have multiple TV studios. Now, there were multiple reports that emerged late last week into the weekend that, as you mentioned, the NFL is going to have the draft go on according to plan in late April, but they can no longer house it in Vegas. And this goes back to the federal regulations because they're not allowed to have group gatherings of a big size, which obviously the draft would connect to. So they're going to have the draft, but it's going to be in some type of a TV studio. They haven't determined yet. There's studios in California. There's studios here on the East Coast in New Jersey. So they could certainly pick whichever facility is going to be the best fit. And it's going to be a different feel 
because of, to your point, teams are still have their war rooms. But, you know, then again, I don't even know how the war room is going to operate. Paul, that's another interesting thing, not to make light of it, but, I mean, think about how many people are in a war room. You got a yeah. lot of people in that war room. Oh, you could easily have well more than a dozen. In right? fact, maybe up to two dozen. And, and I think what will happen is, and we all know the communications at this particular time have been elevated because of the technology that's been made available to people uh, to a much higher level than they used to be. So I could see a lot of video conferences going on where there may be a small group of people, you know, at team headquarters and then videoing as many other yeah. people on their screen as they possibly can. And then maybe one other guy is the point guy who has his own video line connected to the NFL. I think the, the one thing that will be odd as we move down the line into future years when NFL films cuts up each team's uh, draft uh, uh, highlights for their team videos. And, you know, the commissioner usually gets up there and he gives the name out and then you get the crazy fan reaction. They love the guy or they boo the guy. Remember how they all booed Phil Simms yep. uh, in New York City in 1979? Well, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of reaction because the commissioner is going to be in a studio all by himself. I, I don't even know if it's worth putting that in to a highlight film now, given the circumstances. No, you bring up a great point. Also, remember, the draft over the last few years, Paul, found creative ways to make the draft announcements. You know how they would go to a team stadium, they'd have a yes. group of students yes. with a player. You're not going to have any of that anymore. So it's going to have a much different feel, to your point. There also were constant cutaways to prospects at their homes, which I mm -hmm. think they can do, but you know, they would bring in... 20 to 30 family members in a house, right? And you'd be yes. sitting with the prospect. We're not going to have that feel. But here's the important part. The important part is the draft will go on, which I think is good. Once again, this is a distraction. Sports is entertainment. Let's not lose sight of that. But at this point, sports is important for society because it takes our minds off of what obviously the country is dealing with as a whole. So I think it's good news that we have that draft to look forward to. But I think people just need to come to grips with, as you just mentioned and laid out, it's going to look very differently. The logistics are going to be different. And teams are going to have to find creative ways to communicate. And they're probably going to have members of their staff in a variety of different areas of the country. You could have your scouts all across the board in terms of video conferencing. You could have maybe the general manager, the owner and the coach in a room at the facility. I mean, things are going to have a very different feel and a very different look. But like teams go through adversity, Paul, on the football field or during the season, I would say every team, the league as a whole, is now going to be tested with adversity off the field in terms of the logistics of the offseason. Well, Lance, you remember uh, when this country has gone through other difficult times in the past, and there are numerous examples of things that happened to this nation which caused a halt to sporting events. I don't need to go through them. We all know the various things that have occurred over the course of the last hundred years in this country. But let me say this. For, for those folks who do look at the National Football League as entertainment and as a distraction and as an escape from reality, obviously those people are going to want the NFL schedule to resemble as, as close to normal as it possibly can. That is, you know, obviously training camps are supposed to open up sometime late in July, followed by an August preseason, followed by a September start 
to the regular season. We, we know what the norm is. And I think that, that every American out there who wants to get back to normal, whether or not they're a football fan, is really irrelevant. I think the atmosphere and the psychology of, of getting something significant back on schedule is something that we're all looking forward to. And if you're the National Football League, you almost have to have this draft at its, at its appropriate time, even with the, uh, the technology that's going to be uh, required to pull it off. Because I don't think that if they delay the draft, they're going to be able to maintain any possibilities of keeping the rest of the fall and winter schedule intact. Now, I could be wrong there. Um, it's strictly my opinion. But I think that, A, the draft will be a big distraction for people in April anyway, and that's a good thing. And then, B, with all of the problems that are inherent in the logistics of what these teams are going to have to do, I think getting those draft picks assigned in late April is probably very, very important to at least give them a chance to keep a normal fall schedule. Maybe you feel differently. That's just how I see it. No, I think that, once again, that's a great point, and I think it's a fair observation because the NFL, first of all, as we've discussed many times, Paul, and I've said this tons of times, it's now a 24-7 operation. Just because the season goes from September to the beginning of February doesn't mean that you know, then in the offseason, we just take a break between the senior bowl that goes up against the playoffs to the combine to free agency, which we're still in the middle of, to the draft, to OTAs. I mean, there's something going on every single month. And the reason why I think it's also structured that way is, to your point, teams can operate business as usual. Things are not grouped together so heavily. There's spacing. The evaluation process could go on. Scouts can travel. You can have pro days. I mean, there is rationale behind the NFL calendar. As much as we want to say, well, they're doing it so that the NFL fans and broadcasters like ourselves have something to talk about. I think it's also from a logistical standpoint, it makes sense too. So if you start grouping everything together, once hopefully we get back to normal, you're 100% right. It will then throw off how they run business as usual during the course of the season. Not to get off subject, Paul, but let's bring in a parallel here in another professional sport. There has been talk in the last few days, Major League Baseball. Now, Major League Baseball which is going to start up or at least anticipated to start up in April, much more impacted by the coronavirus, more so than the NFL, right? But MLB now is saying, even if things get back to normal, and I'm throwing out, let me preface this to our listeners, I'm throwing out a hypothetical. Nobody has any idea what a timetable is. But Paul, let's say things at least start resembling in the summer, midsummer, late summer, whatever it may be. Let's say we get back to normal where people can at least get back to certain groups. There are MLB executives that are saying they would want to start spring training up again to give teams an opportunity to get their legs back under them. You don't know what players are doing all across the country. So that's another reason why, I think to your point, you want the draft to go on as usual because if you start backing these events up, you need to account for when we get back to normal, Paul, every league can't just snap its fingers and throw athletes on fields. There's going to have to be a preparation mode, which may take a few weeks. So in order to avoid that or prepare for that, 
That's more of a reason why these other activities surrounding the season, I think, need to go according to schedule. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Lance. And, and, you know, fortunately for the National Football League, they only have one stadium now that doubles up with Major League Baseball. And actually, that's not even going to be anymore because the Raiders are leaving Oakland to go to Los Angeles. uh, I mean, uh, Las Vegas. Vegas. So, So that's going to be eliminated. So they don't have that problem. Now, the NBA and the NHL, they do because a lot of those teams play in the same building. And so as you back things up and compress whatever is left of your schedule, if you're going to play it, you are going to have some major logistical issues. The NFL, look, again, I, I don't mean to find any silver lining in this because it's a horrible situation for the entire world. But the NFL is least impacted by any of the major sports. And and that's something that that can at least give them a chance to put forth something that resembles normalcy as we go through the calendar year. The other thing connected to this, before we move on to some of the other subjects we wanted to tackle, pro days. And the one thing that you could point to, Paul, with the draft staying on schedule is the fact that this is going to impact some players. Let's not be naive. The top guys, Paul, who have unbelievable college tape, who put up wow-me numbers at the Combine, I don't think they're overly concerned. Even though perhaps some of them did not take part in Combine activities with the anticipation that the Pro Day was going to be the ideal environment for them to further showcase their skill sets and for those that may have been hurt at the time to prove that they're back to full health. But I worry slightly about a kid who may be at Alabama and is not the star-studded athlete, but you know what? The pro day is an opportunity to get up close and personal with some NFL officials, maybe really show what they can do in an enclosed environment. That's what I get a little bit worried about, and I wonder how executives are going to be able to evaluate some of these fringe players, for the lack of a better term, where this is their moment to shine, and that opportunity, unfortunately, is taken away from them because of the current circumstances that are presented to the country and the world. Lance, I view those players as collateral damage, and quite frankly, That's why it became ultra-important for them, if they were lucky enough to be invited to the Combine, to put their best foot forward in Indianapolis. Because they had to know, look, uh, I'm not telling you any secrets here out of school. There were people talking about this at the Combine who understood that there was something rumbling and, and there were some warning signs that something along these lines could be down the pike. And so everybody at the Combine, at least those who had their eyes and ears open, understood that that opportunity in Indianapolis was going to be the opportunity that they had to put their best foot forward and to give teams a real good opportunity to find out what those guys are all about. Because, hey, look, they, they know what they saw the scouts did during the course of the season. They went out to see these guys. They watched the tape. They did plenty of homework going into the combine before any of this ever got into the public consciousness. But then once it became apparent that something was brewing overseas, I think they all knew going into the combine 
that, hey, we're going to have to buckle down and look through every nook and cranny on, on every single one of these prospect sheets because we may not get a chance to really revisit this stuff again. I, I have to believe that any team worth their grain of salt went into the combine with that approach, and any player who was really uh, uh, you know, understanding what was going on took the same approach on the other side of the ledger. Well, and I would take it a step further, Paul. You hope also agents were advising their players accordingly based on the information that you just presented. Because if you're an agent and you're representing a player and they were sort of on the fence, I don't know if I want to take part in the combine to the degree that, you know, some other players are going, I don't know if I want to do these events, I don't know if I want to throw if I'm a quarterback. Maybe you got to think twice going in, hey, your pro day may not actually come to fruition. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you may want to actually take part in these events, even though it may not be as ideal as you anticipated. Very interesting point, Lance, because as we all know, the agents do, oh, I don't want to say run a lot of these shows. No, but they do. (laughs) Listen, that's uh, the name of the game. Hey, look, you know, they're supposed to work for the players. Sometimes it works the other way. And the agents are dangling the, the puppet strings for the players. And you're right. Sometimes uh, the, the players will not get the best advice. So I think your point is certainly warranted. It's unfortunate that it probably did happen to more players than it should have because many of them uh, just go in and, and say, okay, he knows what's best. He's going to handle my affairs and just let him roll with it. Uh, that would have been a naive approach to take. But it does happen. I, I also think, Lance, uh, to be honest, there's another area here of, of player uh, procurement that we do need to address, and that is the XFL, which did uh, put its uh, operations on hold. Beginning today, their players can now sign with NFL teams. And as much as we were talking about scouts scouting the college prospects, there were also NFL scouts, and I'm not telling any secrets out of school here, who did watch XFL games to look for guys who were hoping to get second and third and fourth opportunities with the National Football League. Now, for example, okay, there is a report. NFL Network's Tom Pelissero and uh, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport have both reported today. And again, this is all pending physicals, and, and no one can officially be, be signed per se, as far as I know. But there, there apparently is a reported agreement through NFL Network that P.J. Walker, the Houston Roughnecks quarterback, who probably was going to become the XFL's MVP, is now expected to join the Carolina Panthers, which shouldn't shock anybody considering that Matt Rule coached him at Temple when he was a quarterback there. So I, I'm, I'm very curious, as we go through these next few days, how many XFL players may wind up, because they've now put extra games on tape over the course of the last month or so. Remember, they played five weeks of football, and that gave those players an opportunity to show some of their wares for these NFL scouts. And I will tell you this, someone in the league told me this morning they expect between 50 and 80 players from XFL rosters to be signed before NFL training camp starts. And that that is very interesting to me because that's a lot of players, and obviously some of those guys are going to find their way onto opening day rosters. Well, we saw it also with the Alliance of American Football 
last year, and some of those players made it into the NFL, were at least on the 90-man roster, and I don't think that it's a surprise that XFL players will get opportunities, because as we talk about around this time of the year, you get to a 90-man roster, and we're going to get to now 55 this year under the new CBA from 53, and then it'll go from 46 to 48 on game days in terms of the active roster, and if these players showcase their skills and flashed, and an NFL team is interested. As you mentioned, the XFL made it clear that they're going to allow the green light. You brought up P.J. Walker. I've seen the reports as well as we're taping this show. He led the XFL in passing yards this season. He led the XFL in passing touchdowns, and he has the connection to Matt Rule because he played at Temple from 2013 to 2016, and he actually, Walker, just to provide further context, Paul, he was with the Indianapolis Colts prior to the XFL. He didn't make the active roster, but he was with them during the offseason from 2017 to 2019. So in fairness, Walker at least has some established relationships in the NFL because he was in the preseason and he was with teams during the offseason. So I think that also at least gave him more of a resume to throw out there in the event that another team was going to give him an opportunity. Well, when the XFL came into play, I took a very strong look at all of the rosters and I tried to find out what's the background on these guys. How many uh, college prospects do they have and how many are actually guys who have had a cup of coffee either in the NFL or on NFL practice squads? And I'll be honest with you, Lance, I I kept going through it with a fine-tooth comb and almost every single guy in that league at least had had an opportunity to visit an NFL practice squad. So you are right in that there are previous personnel folders for probably, oh, I don't even want to put a number on it, but almost all of these XFL players who have now hit the marketplace. I'll give you an example of a guy who really showed up big time. And, you know, I don't necessarily know uh, the, the kind of team that's going to want him, but like the New York Guardians right here at MetLife Stadium, they had Kayvon Walker, who was out of uh, Maryland, 6'2", 284 pounds. He was a three-technique defensive tackle. That is, he was an athletic penetrator who would slice through the line of scrimmage and get some pass rush. He had four and a half sacks to lead the league this year. They played five games, each of these XFL teams. So obviously, that's a very nice ratio. Had 19 total tackles on the season. Now, for some NFL team who was looking for a penetrating defensive tackle to bring to camp... Kayvon Walker may very well get a phone call. That Walker, four and a half sacks, led the XFL. The next closest player was at three. That was Cedric Reed. So, you know, that's a guy who played for a local team. Maybe, perhaps, if he wants to remain local and knowing the Giants certainly can use an additional pass rusher, who knows? The good news is for NFL teams, not just to talk about the Giants, you've got now an entire other group of players on top of the draft prospects to evaluate on top of free agency. The more the merrier, as I like to say, Paul. Whenever you have this type of pool, it's not a bad thing, especially in a year where, as I just mentioned, you're going to be expanding rosters. You know, all executives across the NFL would not be doing their due diligence if they wouldn't at least consider players from all walks of life at this point. Plus, with no OTAs going on, And with activities and interactions limited, you know, this gives maybe teams an opportunity to further look 
at some of the players that don't have an opportunity to get face-to-face meetings or maybe coaches don't have the chance to look at their films or their highlights. This may actually be a blessing in disguise for some of these XFL players. Well, the one thing that you can say about these XFL guys who are now trying to get uh, an additional chance at the NFL is that they, in most cases, will be a few years older. So they will be more mature. They will have gone through some experiences. They will have gone through some learning and some 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 leadership uh, opportunities to where a guy who's coming fresh out of college, you know, sometimes, Lance, you've met them as well as I have. They're immature. They're not ready to really be professional NFL players. They need seasoning. They need some work. Some of these guys wind up redshirting on a practice squad for their rookie seasons. Well, I think it's pretty safe to say that even if some of these XFL guys who come over to the NFL may not have top-of-the-line talent, what you do know is that they're going to be hungry and they will have gone through some ups and downs earlier in their professional careers that should serve them well if they're able to get to an NFL training camp once again. Yeah, I think that's another great point, Paul, and it got me thinking as you were talking about this. This is going to be such a test for any rookie coming into the NFL this year. I'm talking about the entire draft class, and whether you're somebody that is a polished player who's been in college for X amount of years fully healthy, or you're somebody that's just eligible, but maybe you were limited because of red shirts and injuries and so forth, because if the offseason schedule doesn't go according to plan and you're not going to be at the facility, there's not going to be a rookie minicamp, Paul. There's not going to be that exposure to NFL coaches who are maybe going to be on top of you as much as they would be under the normal schedule where you know they're telling you, hey, these are the things you got to do in June and July when you're away from the team. This is the schedule I want you to follow. You know, This is the workout routine. This is the playbook. I want you to tackle the first 50 pages this week in review and then move to this. You have to be self-disciplined, Paul. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that coaches and players are not going to be interacting this offseason. I don't want to lead the listeners a different way. NFL rules are going to allow them to interact. What I'm saying is they're not going to probably be at the facility in group gatherings where you feed off of one another. You build chemistry. A veteran can now take a young guy under his wing and show him the rope. So if you don't have that, and to your point about maturity, every rookie is going to be tested. Forget the physical side of things, Paul. They're going to be tested mentally. They're going to have to learn as they go compared to other rookie classes which had the luxury of having a full NFL roster amongst them. And I think that's going to separate the men from the boys. Teams that have draft classes that are independent, mature, have strong coaches in their, vo- in their ears, whether it be at the collegiate level, the high school level, or good trainers in their ear preparing them, I think you know those are going to give teams significant edges when we get back to business as usual. Well, that's why when any of these players, whether they be college prospects or XFL alums, any of these guys, and by the way, can we include, you know, reserve practice squad guys of course. who the NFL team signed in January? Can we include those in Absolutely. the same boat? Any of these guys would be well advised to not only be working their butts off independently, doing whatever it is they need to do to physically train during the course of this offseason, but they would be well advised that when they get to wherever their NFL camps are going to be, to crack the whip immediately. 
There's not going to be any room for slacking off because that first day you slack may be the day that, that puts you on the cut on the cut pile. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. So glad you could tune in as we are going over the latest Giants news as well as the latest NFL news. And a reminder, all the agreements we are mentioning on the show are not official. They are only according to the reports we attribute for each player or the group as a whole, and all of them are contingent upon the players passing a physical whenever that will take place. That applies to the following players. Colt McCoy, Nate Ebner, Cam Fleming, James Bradbury, Blake Martinez, and Cody Kaur via his contract extension. This all according to NFL Network, Kyler Fackrell, and Levine Toilolo, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. Now, before we get into some Twitter questions, Paul, I want to also look at the NFL as a whole. And we had an entire week of free agency that didn't just pertain to the Giants, but the entire league. And last week, we went into what the division did. With respect to the NFC East, the Cowboys, the Eagles, and the Redskins. But let's go now across the league. And, and I think it's interesting to see not the quarterbacks, because those are the obvious, underrated signings right now that you think are going to make a significant impact for their respective teams that not enough people are talking about. Because this goes back to what you hit on at the top of the show. You win free agency with the big splash. You get the good grade from all of the media members. That doesn't always translate to the football field. And we have seen multiple examples. I'll give you one off the top of my head. The Philadelphia Eagles in 2004. Remember when Vince Young called them the dream team, Paul? Yes. They brought in all those big names, all those big faces, and then they went 4-12. and 12. The Cleveland Browns last year made a lot of noise. People were picking them to maybe go to the Super Bowl. And Cleveland fell below expectations. We could sit here and give you tons and tons of examples. And I'm bringing this up to also go to the Giants because I think the reaction is sometimes when a team that you root for doesn't make the big splash, you're wondering, well, what's going on here? You know, how is this team going to drastically improve? And we still have the draft. Free agency is still going to play out. There's going to be that second wave of free agency, let's not forget. So, you know, we're still very early in terms of the phase of teams making the necessary moves to help their causes. But I always find it interesting, some of the signings that don't get enough material in the headlines and people sort of overlook. And I want to throw out three that come to mind, and I'm curious your thoughts. Number one, the Saints bringing in Emmanuel Sanders over the weekend, I thought was a remarkable move on their part. They have always been looking for the complimentary piece to Michael Thomas Hell, they were always looking for the complimentary piece to Marcus Colston when he was the number one guy, a Hofstra product, Jimmy mm-hmm. Graham. So, you know, this is the first time you could argue Drew Brees has two legitimate wide receivers that you need to pay attention to. They have Jared Cook at the tight end position. They have Alvin Kamara out of the backfield, and they've got a really good defense still. So that move, I don't think enough people are talking about. I really like that. And then I want to go on the defensive side of the ball, the Chargers bringing in former New York Giant, Linville Joseph. How about that move, Paul, to complement him with Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram? You're going to put now those three guys on the Chargers' front four group in addition to having Derwin James in the defensive backfield, Chris Harris they just added in the cornerback position, Desmond King who they have at the slot. There's a lot to like about that Chargers' defense. And then the other move, Michael Brockers going to the Ravens, speaking of also defensive tackles, to join forces with is a lethal group in Baltimore. 
Matt Judon, they gave the franchise tag to. They've got a lot of weaponry up front. I think some of those moves, you know, it's easy to overlook that. And I think those are going to pay off big time for those respective teams. I like every move that you just made as fitting into the category that you outlined a couple of moments ago. And I'm going to throw a couple of additional ones in there. One of them is in the NFC East. And I think we talked about it the other day during a program. But I'm going to bring it up again because it's appropriate. Javon Hargrave. Yeah, I was going to mention it as well. That's a big deal. That that's just and and nobody talks about him because he doesn't grab headlines. He's not a spectacular ESPN highlight performance type of player. All he does is black and blue your offensive line and beat you up on the interior. <laughs> that's a good way to describe him. <laughs> that's all he does. I think Giants offensive linemen will be able to relate shortly. And and he also gets some pressure in the front of the pocket. He is just a really really good player. And, you know, you could tell by the, by the numbers that he was reported to have received through the NFL Network report with the Philadelphia Eagles that they valued him very, very highly. And I understand why. The Steelers had him. He was a terrific player for them. And now Philadelphia, which prides itself in being able to rotate a number of terrific defensive linemen, that is the heart and soul of everything they want to do philosophically. And they add another very powerful, important guy to that mix. I I just think that, that that move, that reported move, helps the Philadelphia Eagles maintain the type of defense that they want to play. And that's a big deal because I do believe that at least going into this offseason, they have the most talented 53-man roster in the NFC East. Well, also take into consideration they just acquired Darius Slay from the Lions, too, to help shore up the back end, which mm-hmm. to me has been their Achilles heel. Forget what they have up front. They've needed a shutdown Pro Bowl-esque type of corner who's a ball hawk, and they have that now. And I agree. You know, Hargrave, Hargrave excuse me, was the other guy that I was going to throw out that is in the same ballpark of Linville Joseph and Michael Brockers. Well, you can't hoard signing. all the names, Lance. You can't hoard them all. You said only I'm sorry. I know. That's why I needed to leave you at least one. But well, I, got, I got another one for you. Sure. Melvin Gordon to the Broncos. Now, do you consider him under the radar? It didn't look like he got as lot as, as much play as some of the other bigger names. He's certainly a big name who has been streaky. He's had some injury issues. But to me, Gordon going to Denver, giving them now at least what they hope is the semblance of a reliable running game as Drew Locke enters his second season in the league. Look, if they didn't do something to enhance their rushing attack, Drew Locke was going to be fed to the Sharks. So the reported deal that NFL Network put forth out there that Melvin Gordon had agreed uh, with Denver, to me, Drew Locke had to be the happiest guy in the whole state of Colorado. The best thing you could do for a young quarterback, to your point, Paul, is to give him a running game. I still think there's some concerns about the offensive line, but I would agree with you. Plus, remember, they have Phillip Lindsay, who had a very productive first few seasons in the NFL. Let's not forget about that. So now they have a one-two punch in the backfield because Lindsey and Gordon are two very different running backs. Gordon's more of the power guy. Lindsey's the receiver, flashy, elusive guy. So I think that's going to be a huge luxury for Drew Locke. And interestingly, you bring up the Broncos. That's where Pat Shermer is right now. He's going to be the offensive coordinator with another young quarterback. So he's now going to have two running backs to work with. And Mike Shula, of course, the former Giants assistant, is also with Pat Shermer as the quarterback's coach. And... I think 
the key for Drew Locke, who I thought showed some positive flashes, by the way, yes. at the tail end of last season, like anything else, whether it be a Daniel Jones, whether it be all of these other young guys, not only do you need to make sure that they're ready from a mental standpoint and they have a good grasp of the offense, Paul, but you've got to make sure that the environment you provide them is not necessarily ideal because I don't know if any team would say that they feel great about their current state considering injuries is something you always have to deal with. But you want to make sure you're putting them in an environment that at least enables them to have success. And that means the proper offensive line, a running game to take pressure off of the quarterback. And I think to your point, Denver, based on who they've brought in, is now at least providing that environment for Drew Locke. I see. I see it that way because, in my mind, Lindsey is more of a scat back than he is a workhorse back. And if you look at what he's done over his first two seasons, you know he was carrying the ball one one ninety. I, I think his first year, his second year, about two hundred and twenty times. That's not a workhorse back for me. Okay, I, I I think that that Gordon is more of a reliable threat on a consistent basis, a guy who can do some things between the tackles, a guy who, if you're in a four-minute offense, you don't necessarily have to throw it to him in the flat to allow him to grind out some first downs. That's why I think it's it's the type of back that Gordon is that I think is going to help lock out a lot because now I think Lindsey can concentrate more on being the third-down specialist or the scat-back type. So that that's my take on that one. And then the other one that I want to throw out at you, Lance, and – this is kind of a TBA because there are no reports to him landing with anybody yet. But Everson Griffin from the Minnesota Vikings, I still think he's got something left in him. And I, I think he's going to land somewhere with something to prove. And this is a guy who we have seen over the last several years of his career, despite the fact that he's getting up there in age. He's got he's got guile. He's got smarts. He certainly has pass rush ability and can change a game with with a, a fumble causing sack at any time. I think Everson Griffin is going to quietly kind of sneak in there in that second wave of free agency. He's probably going to get some pretty good numbers, and I think he's going to help some team immensely with their pass rush. Yeah, there was some talk about maybe he would return to the Vikings, but he and his agent made it very clear that they're now pursuing free agency as it doesn't look like they can get on the same page. And I agree with you. Griffin's a very intriguing name to throw out there. Even getting up there in age, he started in the league in 2010. Last season, though, he played 15 of the 16 games. He wound up with eight sacks and still proved that he could be that disruptive player. And it's Great that you brought up Griffin because the other guy that I was going to throw out is an underrated addition, and I would make the argument that Everson Griffin could very well be this year's Robert Quinn. Robert Quinn just signed with the Bears, and if you notice, Quinn was acquired by the Cowboys last offseason, and Quinn actually, you can make the argument, was Dallas's most effective pass rusher. And the same questions, Paul, came up about Quinn that are still being raised about Griffin. Oh, Quinn's getting up there in age. You wonder what he can do now that he doesn't have the Rams personnel around him because he went to Miami and then he went to Dallas and Quinn actually had a late renaissance. So I actually look at Griffin under the same umbrella. I think a team that brings him in could be pleasantly surprised that he could still be that disruptive player to also help one of the young guys 
just like what Robert Quinn did for the Dallas Cowboys to compliment Demarcus Lawrence last season. Well, the only thing I would say here, even though Griffin's a little bit older than Robert Quinn, he also has had double-digit sacks in a more recent history than Quinn. Quinn had gone, uh, what, four years without double digits, and Griffin now is only working off of two years since he had 13 sacks for the Vikings and went to the Pro Bowl in 2017. So a little bit different, but I agree with you on the same planet for sure. And look, again, I have tremendous respect for any pass rusher who can continue to perform at a high level uh, later on in his career because you know how they always say NFL players, they average about three, three and a half years in the league. Well, there are some pass rushers who get it done 10, 12, 13, 14 years into the game, and they're still able to get to the quarterback. And I tip my cap to any of those guys. Griffin is one of those guys now who's been in this league for the better part of a decade. Griffin came into the league, as I mentioned, in 2010. Quinn came in the league in 2011. So they actually are pretty comparable in terms of years service so far in the NFL. And, I mean, to your point, Quinn had 11 and a half sacks last season. So previously, he hadn't had double-digit sacks since 2014. Griffin has been a little bit more consistent. But, you know, I think they're still pretty much in that same age barometer on the body where you would say, hey, if Quinn could do it in 2019, then maybe why can't Griffin get to that 10-sack level, especially if he goes to a team that is in real big need of a pass rusher. The only other thing that I wanted to add to the conversation about some of the players we threw out, I want to go back to Denver here real quickly. Lindsey, you brought up, he had 192 carries in 2018. He had 224 last year, so his carries did go up 1,000 yards in each of those seasons, and he's had at least seven touchdowns in each campaign on the ground. But remember, Gordon also has to prove that he could stay healthy. Yes. And that's why having Lindsey, Paul, I think is even more than just a security blanket because Gordon, each of the last two seasons, only played 12 games. Now, granted, he held out this year, so it wasn't necessarily injury, but the Chargers were without him for four years. Prior to that, he had the knee injury in 2018. So that's why any team always, I think, is operating right now under the premise you can never go into a season, regardless of whether you think, Paul, you're going to give a running back 20 to 25 carries a game, you still can't go into a season saying, all right, he's our only guy and we're fine. We're going to get through all 16 games because there's no way with the amount of hits that a running back takes. I mean, look at what happened to Saquon Barkley this past season. You have to be prepared that you at least, nobody's saying you have the duplicate of your starter, Paul. That's not what I'm saying, but you have to feel good that we've got a guy on the roster that if something happens to our starter, we know we can give the second guy at least 15 carries and we'll be in good shape. Well, it comes down to how the modern NFL favors the one-two punch. Yeah. You want one and one A. And I think the Broncos now have one and one A, especially considering that those two running backs uh, have different skill sets. And that's what makes it work so well. Let's now head to Twitter as we will answer your questions related to the Giants and other NFL news because we want to give you an opportunity, keep in mind, to still interact with us on the program even though obviously we are unable to take phone calls under this new setup. And a reminder, as we answer your Twitter questions, all the agreements we are mentioning on the show are not official. They are only according to the reports we attribute for each player or the group as a whole, and all of them are contingent upon the players passing a physical whenever that will take place. That is yet to 
to be determined because of restrictions and interaction between players and front office executives and coaches. This applies to Colt McCoy, Nate Ebner, Cam Fleming, James Bradbury, Blake Martinez, and the contract extension for Cody Core. This all credited to reports from the NFL Network. Then you have Kyler Fackrell and Levine Toilolo. That credited to ESPN's Adam Schefter. All right, Paul, let's answer a few Twitter questions before we wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. And let's start off the festivities with a question from Micah. And he asks the following. With the three signings so far in free agency, I'm not exactly sure which three he was calling out here, but he says, it seems to be that there hasn't been much of an interest on the offensive line, specifically at offensive tackle. Do you think then we go defense at four in the draft or trade back and go offensive tackle. Now, before I get your thoughts on this answer, Paul, he may have thrown out this question before, of course, the Giants, according to reports, came out with an agreement with offensive lineman Cam Fleming. So we have to take that into consideration. But I think the biggest part of his question is, based on what happened in free agency, does it look like they go defense at number four or perhaps the offensive line? Look, based on the strength of the draft and also the logic that dictates where the Giants would want to go, given some of their needs as well, because that is certainly part of the component. We always know the Giants like to go best player available, but need will become part of the component, especially when grades are razor thin together. There is logic for three scenarios. Okay, one is you go offensive tackle first and outside linebacker pass rusher second. The other one, flip-flop the two. Go for the offensive tackle in the second round after you take the outside linebacker pass rusher in the first. And then the other third logical scenario, which certainly has merit, is trade down one or two spots and then go from there and see what you do in terms of either choice A or choice B because you might have an opportunity still to flip-flop either one of those choices if you move down only one or two slots. That's the beauty of where the Giants are. Because of their situation, because of the options available to them, they actually have three very, very logical and smart options. Now, the second-guessers will have a field day with this because whichever option the Giants take, if it doesn't work out, They will get criticized, just like every other team will, when things don't work out the way that they planned. But when you first guess, when you understand what the options are, and you reason out the logic for each one of these, you can make a very strong case for the Giants taking any one of those three roads, and you cannot criticize them for doing so. Well, and that's why, to get back to the question that Mike posed, I don't think the Giants would have to trade back if they want an offensive tackle. If they want an offensive tackle, Paul, they could use the fourth overall pick on that. Sure. Okay, Makai Becton, for example, out of Louisville, is more than suitable to be taken with the fourth overall pick. So just because you don't go defense, I don't think the mindset has to be, oh, well, you know, we should move back. If they have a highly rated offensive lineman that is very high on the board in the vicinity of the defensive players or maybe even higher than the defensive players, then logic would say... Take the offensive lineman. As you mentioned, you could certainly make an argument for a defensive player too, whether it be pass rusher, whether it be linebacker, whether it be corner, if for some reason they wanted to further add another 
player at that position, even though they've already addressed that in free agency with James Bradbury. But let me give a ballpark generic statement here, Paul, because I know we're going to get a lot of these questions all throughout the offseason. I've already received a lot of them on my own personal Twitter account, and it's always playing the game of, well, let me read between the lines. The Giants did this in free agency, so that means that they're going to do this in the draft. Let's go back to last year's draft, Paul. First of all, in the first round, they took a quarterback, a defensive tackle, and a corner. The Giants didn't do much of anything at those positions in free agency last year. So that's an example. In the first round, they went to address positions that they did not address in free agency. However, with that being said, they signed Golden Tate and they signed Marcus Golden. Yet then in the draft, they selected Darius Slayton, and they selected O'Shane Zimenez. So we have examples from last year alone to point to they doubled up at certain positions, Paul, right? They addressed certain areas in free agency and then came back around in the draft and further added the same position. But then there are also examples where they didn't really do much damage in free agency and then address those positions in the draft. So that's, I guess, more of a reason why I'm bringing it up. You can't read into one element of the offseason and feel as if you have a good read on the other when the Giants under Dave Gettleman have provided us examples that have gone that have gone on both ends of the spectrum and all you have to do is go back to 2019. Well, if you, if you really want to cut this down to just one theory, in both of Dave Gettleman's drafts since he came back to the Giants... He unequivocally put in the card in the first round for the guy he felt he had to have and did not waver. He told us the Barkley card went up immediately. They didn't even take phone calls about potentially moving down because he knew in his heart of hearts he wanted Barkley. And he grabbed him at number two. What happened last year? He decided, that's it. Daniel Jones is my guy. I've got to grab him. I'm not listening to any of this moving down stuff. Even though he has admitted he really liked Josh Allen as, a, as an outside linebacker pass rusher, he said it was very, very hard to, to, to bypass him. But ultimately, what did it come down to? Daniel Jones is the guy I've got to have. I'm taking him at six. End of story. No, no, no conversation. It's done. Well, Gettleman's done that twice now. Don't you think he's going to do that this year also? If there is a guy at number four who he believes he has to have, he's not going to deal with trading down. He's not going to get fancy with this. He's just going to take that guy. And if that guy is an offensive tackle who he highly has rated it for, or if it is, let's just say, Simmons or another defensive player who he believes he has to have it for, he's taking him, Lance. That's all there is to it. He's taking him. He's not going to get fancy. And that's the smart move, regardless of what team we're talking about. If you have a guy that has all the check marks, then don't think about what you could get if you move down. Because when you do that, that's when you get into dangerous circumstances. And all of a sudden, more surprises are thrown your way. And you're playing more of the coulda, woulda, shoulda game. I don't think you ever want to put yourself in that position. Let's go to our second Twitter question. This comes from Tashia. What do you guys think the Giants will do about addressing the edge? They are definitely not going to get Chase Young in the draft. However, the edge really needs to be addressed. I like how she can say they definitely won't get Chase Young. How do you know he won't fall to four? Now, we we don't think so. We think the odds are he's going to be gone by four. But is it possible, Lance? Sure it is that we could 
plan out for you a scenario whereby Jace Young falls to four. It absolutely could happen. It's not likely, given the the plaudits that he's received, but I'm not going to sit here and just say that it's automatically not going to happen. It is certainly possible. Now, if if you want to go hypothetical and say he's not going to get there, well, guess what? Right now, it looks like the Giants are going to have to scheme a pass rush. It doesn't look like they have a true Batman pass rusher, and you may just have to live with that for the 2020 season. Marcus Golden is still a free agent, so you at least can continue to throw his name out there. Now, we don't know what's going to happen, but he was extremely productive last season. And it's interesting, by the way, how Clowney is still also unsigned. Golden is still out there. You know, this is why the second wave of free agency is just as fascinating and interesting, not just to the Giants, to the rest of the league, because everybody who thinks that free agency ends after one week, that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes the market doesn't play out the way players anticipated, and then all of a sudden, maybe that presents an opportunity for the team that had them the previous season. So those are two guys just to certainly pay close attention to moving forward. Well, I would Griff- agree Griffin's with you, out there Paul. there too, Lance. Say Everson, that again? Everson Griffin is out there Everson too. Everson Griffin too. Another guy that we certainly brought up earlier when we were talking about underrated signings with respect to Robert Quinn. So there's still guys that are more than capable of getting after the quarterback. But if we were just to evaluate the paper test right now, I would agree with you. You know, Batman's not here right now. Fackrell, who according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, has come to an agreement with the Giants, had 10 and a half sacks in 2018 with Patrick Graham, had one sack last year. Now, they added the Smith guys, the Packers, and I'm talking about Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, so the dynamics of the Packers' pass rush certainly changed, and both of the Smiths had double-digit sacks, and you know what Fackrell also was asked to do could have been different. Keep in mind, there was Mike Pettin's defensive scheme, Paul. Remember, Patrick Graham was the linebackers coach in 18, and the run defense coordinator, as you pointed out, but he left. He became the Dolphins' defensive coordinator. He was not with Fackrell in 2019. Now, now that's not to say that all of a sudden they told Fackrell to just stand in the corner and just, you know, watch, but Graham wasn't there. So the dynamics changed because Graham wasn't there and also the fact that they brought in two elite pass rushers. So you have to at least evaluate that to understand maybe why the numbers weren't equivalent to what happened in 2018. But he's going to be a guy that, as it stands right now, is going to be asked to get back to that 2018 level. And that goes back to the scheme. Because outside of him, I think right now, if you're the Giants, you're continuing to expect Lorenzo Carter to make strides. Paul and O'Shane Zimenez is another guy that you're looking at that you want to see continued progress. See, here's the thing, Paul. Regardless of what the Giants do in the draft or free agency moving forward here with the pass rush, the task at hand still remains the same. They still need these young guys who are currently on the roster to show vast improvement and continue to make the leap from year one to year two to year two to year three. That goes without saying. You have to still expect that no matter what else happens in free agency. One guy alone is not going to be able to overshadow the rest of the elements of this defense. Well, I agree with you a thousand percent. I mean, if you cannot draw improvement from within, and that's going to be basically on the shoulders of this new coaching staff, uh, you're going to be spinning your wheels because you have to not only acquire improvement, You've also got to grow improvement. Let's go to our third and final question. It comes from William. Why haven't the Giants signed any big-name players that they let go or that 
a lot of hype is surrounding them, they have the cap space. Well, if all of these reports uh, come to fruition about the guys that they were supposed to have agreements with, that would not leave them with hardly any cap space. I mean, you remember, you've got to set aside X number of dollars for your rookie class that you're going to draft. Yep. And then Dave Gettleman has said himself he likes to have a cushion. Well, if you take those two things into account, based on the reports that are out there, the Giants don't have a lot of bulk in their wallet right now. 100%. But here's the other thing that I think gets overlooked. And I've mentioned this on this program for weeks. 2016, Paul, you got to go back to 2016. You can't have this conversation in 2020's offseason without taking into consideration 2016. Now, I know it was a different GM. Jerry Reese was the GM at the time. It wasn't Dave Gettleman. But there are lessons to be learned, Paul, from 2016. And they went out, they made the big splash, which is what I think the question on Twitter is referring to. They stole the headlines, the Giants, that offseason, Paul, right? I think that's a fair way to classify it. Olivier Vernon, big guys, sure. Correct. Snacks, Janoris Jenkins. They went out on a spending spree and they revamped the defense. And in fairness, 2016, they reaped the rewards. The defense did make strides and turn things around and they made the playoffs. But then what happened after 2016, Paul? That's where the lesson has to be learned. And Dave Gettleman, when he came in, one of his jobs was to help clean up the cap and help revamp the roster. And when you tie up a lot of money with three players, it impacts the makeup of the rest of the team, Paul. And also, if you don't get results consistently, then you're being forced to make adjustments no matter how things play out from offseason to offseason. So I think the Giants, not just Dave Gettleman, I think John Mara even has spoken publicly about this. When Joe Judge was introduced at his presser, Back in January, the media was asking him about off-season plans, and he even referenced, and I'm paraphrasing it, I do not have the exact quotation in front of me, but he alluded to the fact that he'd be surprised if the Giants followed the 2016 model again, which is when they went out on a big spending spree. So that, to me, is the biggest takeaway from 2016. And I think that anyone who has been paying close attention to some of the statements that have been made publicly and what Dave Gettleman had been doing in previous off-seasons I don't think should be surprised that the Giants did not go out on a huge spending spree thus far, according to reports, based on what we've seen in free agency. Well, let me tie a bow to this whole thing and bring it all the way around from the beginning of the conversation that we had. The biggest name free agents who signed or at least were reported to have agreed for the biggest money around the league, well, those guys did not have very many ties, if any, to the Giants' new staff. And what did we say at the beginning of this program? We talked about how important it was, given the circumstances in today's environment, for a familiarity and a connection that maybe production per dollar is going to be higher with lesser-name guys who you can max out because you know them very well. I think that's about the only thing I could add to what you just said. Well, I think that you're 100% right in terms of bringing the conversation full circle. Isn't this a beautiful way to wrap up the program? We go back to where we started, Paul. And tying a bow on it, I think, is a very nice way to describe it. Familiarity is the key operating term that we opened the show up with. That all of these reported free agent additions 
have connections and ties, as you laid out, with respect to the front office or the staff. So that could have very well been a part of the strategy, knowing the unknown lying ahead in the offseason. Let's try to certainly bring in players that we're confident that are going to execute. Okay, that goes without saying. You know, let's not misinterpret what Paul and I are talking about. We're not saying that the coaching staff at the front office said, let's go out and get a bunch of our friends and bring them in-house, Paul, and we're going to make it work. They also think highly of these players, okay? That's first and foremost. Correct. The second benefit, though, is, hey, if we're not going to have access to these players as much as we anticipated, at least we know we have a leg up because they're familiar with schemes, whether it be on the offense or the defensive side of the ball. Well, final thought, Lance. When teams are making their draft selections uh, coming up at the end of April, don't be surprised if sometimes they lean toward guys who maybe their coaching staff knows from their college days because they will have had some frame of reference on these players and they will know more about them. And if what they know is good, can you blame them for leaning on it? Not at all. That seems like a logic way to follow the lead. A reminder, all the agreements that we had mentioned on the show are not official pertaining to the Giants. They are only according to the reports we attribute for each player and the group as a whole, and all of them are contingent upon the players passing a physical whenever that will take place. That is yet to be determined. That applies to Colt McCoy, Nate Ebner, Cam Fleming, James Bradbury, Blake Martinez, and Cody Kors contract extension, according to NFL Network, and then Kyler Fackrell and Levine Toilolo, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. Continue to send in more of your questions. Paul and I certainly appreciated the ones that we were able to answer on today's program, so use hashtag Giants chat, or you could reach out to us individually on social media. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. We will certainly add them to our tally of questions, and we will try to address as many on the program. We want to keep you as involved as possible in Big Blue Kickoff Live. You listeners, you fans are what makes this program what it's all about. So please continue to send in questions. We want to continue to hear your feedback on the Giants transactions, as well as NFL news overall. We certainly appreciate it, you chipping in on your end. Paul, enjoyed the conversation as always, and look forward to the next time that we are back here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Always good to talk to you, Lance. Be well. Absolutely. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, and always stay locked to Giants.com and the Giants mobile app for the latest. Have a good one.